How many of you, by a show of hands, uh, read the terms and conditions of anything that you sign or put your name on? I mean, obviously, I can't see your hands, so I don't know who's raising your hand. But if you have your hand up, you know it. And uh, I, I just want to ask you that question. You know, do, do you do you read the terms and conditions of something, whatever it is? Um, uh, I don't. I'll just I'll just be honest. I don't. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. You know, I've gone through that whole thing of like, you know, is it technically lying for me to mark the, you know, I have read and agree to the terms and conditions when I in fact have not read all of them. Um, you know, the, there could probably be a ma- an argument made that it is. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to be real with you. <laughs> I, I still do it. <laughs> and if, if that's wrong, if that's a sin, I mean, you know, uh, pray for me, pray for me. The Lord, the Lord can help me. Um, you know, my heart is to do right. Um, you know, maybe I'll have some things to answer for. I, I'm not trying to make a joke out of lying. I just saying that I, I don't, I don't do that. And, and if I, if I were to guess correctly, you, you, you may not either. Um, because those things are long. Those terms and conditions are quite long. But, you know, a, a contract has terms and conditions. And uh, it's, it's conditional. And, um, you know, a lot of people confuse covenant with contract. And there's a, a huge difference between covenant and contract. The thing is, is that covenant also has terms and conditions. But a contract, a lot of times is meant for the protection of self and for the benefit of self. But covenant is all about the protection and the benefit of the other person. And I want to talk today about the rainbow, which is God's original sign of covenant. Hey there, my name is Benjamin Pace, and you're listening to the No Content Podcast. And if you happen to be a duck listening to this, you're in a safe space. Hey there, welcome to the No Content Podcast. My name is Benjamin Pace. We are in the middle of June right now. We are in the summertime. We have made it to the warmer months of the year. And I'm actually pretty excited. Maybe it was just because winter was so brutal (laughs) and, you know, fall was kind of weird. You know, fall was good, but there was just a lot going on. I, I don't know why. I'm just, I'm really excited about summer this year. A lot of times I haven't been that excited just because of the heat. Um, but I'm at, I'm at a part of the country now where there's a good balance between seasons and things like that, where it, it kind of gets you ready for the next season. You know, whenever you're in the deep south where it's like mostly always hot or when you're in the far north and it's mostly always cold, you know, um, I, I like being in the middle of the country because there's a good balance of seasons. And, you know, we get we get rain sometimes. Sometimes it's not, you know, it doesn't rain for a while. Um, we get snow sometimes, but it doesn't last too long. And, and we have a good range of fall most of the time. At the same time, I should also say that in the Midwest where I live, also there's, you know, it's kind of bipolar weather referred to that way a lot is that you just kind of never know what's going to happen. Um, you know, it, you may have thought it was going to be summer and then it snowed all of a sudden. And it's like, well, okay. But the point is, is that it's, it's very, a variegated 
to use a, a large word. But, um, yeah, so, so I'm excited for the summer. We're in June, the month of June right now, and a lot of cool things have been happening in my life, and the Lord has been doing a lot of awesome things um, in the body of Christ, and regardless of anything else that's happening in the world, uh, God is doing amazing things, and it's so beneficial and refreshing to hone in and focus in on what God is doing, um, not what the enemy is doing in the world, or what people are doing. So uh, I'm excited to talk about an element of the nature and the heart of God uh, that is very, I believe, close to his heart because of how intertwined it is with his word, both in Old Testament and New, and how much he has weaved it into um, so many things and so many principles uh, that he's established from the beginning all the way up to now, and that is covenant. I want to talk about covenant today, and I think it's really important to define what covenant is versus uh, like I said in the intro, what a contract is. Some people confuse contract with covenant. And I want to I wanna get into the difference between the two. Uh, you know, we see this kind of comparison with marriage. You know, we talk about a marriage contract. And, um, you know, I think at some point, <clears throat> excuse me, in society, I, I feel like marriage somehow drifted from covenant to contract. And that's probably one of the reasons why we've seen so much breaking of it is because... Um, you know, it's viewed as a contract to a lot of people. And, and as we all know, contracts, you know, have loopholes. Contracts can be broken. And I'm not doing this podcast specifically on marriage, although, um, you know, marriage is a significant covenant that was established by God. And so it definitely has, has its part in place in this topic. And, and, and obviously, I'll say this, you know, just in talking about things like that, um, I'm going to do a whole podcast on divorce and remarriage. And, and getting into what I believe the Bible truly reveals about that topic. And there's a lot of people who are very loose about it. And on the other side, there's a lot of people who are very legalistic about it. And I don't believe God is either one of those things. Um, but I do believe that the Holy Spirit reveals in the Word those things to us, how they apply to us today. And I'll get more into that in a future podcast. But I will say that there are times where it is necessary to get out of a marriage and to get out of that a situation. And so even in talking about covenant and things like that, I, I don't want to bring any condemnation on anybody who has been in a situation where they've had to get out of covenant or, or things like that. So many cases, it wasn't because they broke covenant. It was because somebody else did something to violate their covenant and it put them in a position. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. I just wanted to make that clear. I never want to get into a topic um, and make somebody feel condemned or like I'm attacking somebody. Uh, you know, I really want to just communicate God's heart on covenant in general. And like I said, not just talking about marriage or anything like that, talking about covenant. We're talking about the rainbow. Um, and yes, I know I'm choosing to do a podcast about the rainbow during June, which is considered by a lot of people to be Pride Month. Um, was that my intention or design? Kind of. Honestly, I'm indifferent about the timing of it. I feel like this is what I was supposed to release at this time. And I just want to get into what the Bible says covenant is and, and what the rainbow truly represents. And I know it's been used to represent a lot of different things. And I, I want to go into the Bible and see the origins of the rainbow, not just scientifically, you know, I guess we could get into all that, but 
biblically speaking, where it came from and what it represents. And so that's my heart in this podcast today. So I'm going to get into it and you go ahead and strap, strap your seatbelt in if you don't have it on, if you're in your car, just because, you know, that's safe, safety first. Um, if you're not in your car, then obviously, you know, you don't need a seatbelt. You just, uh, you just do what you, you got to do. In, uh, in Genesis, the book of Genesis, way back there in, uh, in nine, Genesis nine, it says this, God said, this is the sign of the covenant, which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. He said, I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. He said, this is my rainbow that I'm setting in the clouds. Now, some people, scientists, maybe people who are you know, do not believe in God would say, well, no, the rainbow is actually the reflection of this, and, and this does this, and that's what makes it there. Well, as I've heard somebody else say, sure, there is a way it happens, but none of that necessarily points to the origin of what made it do all that to happen. Uh, you know, if you if you get a car and get in there, you can look at the intricacies and all the things that make a car run and make it work and why it happens, but it doesn't take away from the fact that somebody designed it to do that. So God designed the rainbow to do what it does, and it says that he set his rainbow in the clouds. So every time you see a rainbow, remember that that is God's personal rainbow that he has set in the clouds. He has, he has put it in the clouds as a sign of his covenant. And there's a reason why it happens after it rains every time. And somebody set that up because in the beginning with the flood, God promised that he would never flood the earth again. And that is his sign that he does it. And every time it rains, God puts his rainbow in the clouds and he says, I've, I've honored my covenant. I've honored my covenant. I said I wouldn't do it and I won't do it. I said I wouldn't flood the earth again and I didn't. Now that doesn't mean we don't have flash floods. That doesn't mean we don't have things we deal with, but he doesn't flood the earth. He doesn't wipe out creation with a flood. You know, people getting some water in their basement uh, is not him wiping out creation. And I know that flash floods can be dangerous and sometimes people die. People die in a lot of things every day. But the point is God has honored his covenant not to flood the earth again. And it's his bow that represents his covenant. And it belongs to him. And in fact, whatever the rainbow has been used for, God has the original patent on it. He's got the title deed and he's got the copyright on the rainbow. Other people use it, but you know what? That's copyright infringement. Oh, come on. <laughs> That's copyright infringement because God owns it. You know, uh, even in the, the, the cover of this podcast, I found a, an image on Google Images of a rainbow that I was going to use, but upon further investigation, I had to change it because that image had copyright on it, and I can't use it if it's copyrighted without paying for it. So I had to go on Unsplash and get an image that, you know, was not copyrighted. But God's got the original copyright on the rainbow, and other people may be using it, they may be abusing it, but God has it and he has the original interpretation of what it represents. I'm going to keep reading here in Genesis uh, chapter 9, verse 12. He says, And it shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on to, into it 
to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. So God actually has a covenant with all flesh, Christian or non-Christian. And that covenant is to never flood the earth again. And he honors his side of the covenant. See, in covenant, God's not trying to protect himself. God doesn't have fine print to, to get him out of a tight spot. No, God upholds his covenant, his side of the covenant, even if the rest of creation is not. See, the reason why God flooded the earth in the beginning is because creation had become so evil. There were half God, half men, uh, beings, when I say God, a half angel, I should say, that had come in and were sleeping with the women, and there was all this crazy corruption. I know that's a wild concept, but it's what the Bible says. You either believe it or you don't. And all this stuff was happening, and God's like, there's too much corruption. We got we to gotta wipe it out. We got to start fresh. And you, people say, well, that was so cruel of God. No, it was actually mercy. It was actually mercy to do that, because that's how messed up the world was. It was so violent, it was so full of torment and pain, that was actually mercy. Now, we could get into that whole thing and, and what your opinions may be about that. If you don't agree with that, uh, that's another podcast. And besides that, I'm the one talking. So, anyway, <laughs> I'm just messing with you. He, he said, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So, what I was saying about that is, you know, man, mankind is still evil, and still doing things that are wrong, still doing things that are evil. But God hasn't flooded the earth because he made a covenant not to do it. Even though man has still done things to spit in God's face. In fact, I don't think it's any coincidence that Satan has inspired people to use the rainbow as the poster of some of the very things that caused God to have to flood the earth in the, in the beginning. Now, I know that's a bold statement, but it's the truth. Now, I'm not saying God hates this group of people or hates that group of people. I'm not saying that. God loves every person on the earth. God has a plan for every person on the earth. God values every person on the earth. And God is not bringing down hellfire on everybody that lives a certain lifestyle. No, uh, the Son of Man came into the world not to condemn it, but that the world through him might be saved. And this is at a time that there was not that sacrifice of the lamb, of the perfect lamb, to, to be that mediator. There was a time that, that he wasn't in place for that, and God had to deal in judgment. I'm going to do another podcast called The Wrath of God, where we're going to get into more of that. But I heard one minister say it like this, since Jesus came, there's mercy in the air that we breathe. And I, I am not uh, in any way advocating that, that we're going to have another Sodom and Gomorrah and God's bringing fire down on people for living this kind of lifestyle or that kind of lifestyle. Um, sin does bring forth death, and that's the truth. And that is how reality is. That is what is, is just a fact. Sin brings forth death, and it does lead to that. But it's not because God hates people and wants them to be punished for this or that. That is the result of sin. In fact, God wants people to not sin, to spare them from the consequences of sin. Just like a, a, a parent that wants to keep their child from, from something that will hurt them. God loves everybody. He loves this person. He loves that people. He loves gay people. He loves bisexual people. He loves transgender people. And the reason why he would want them to not live those lifestyles is not because he hates them. It's not because he's told Christians to hate them. No, he told us to love. He told us to love even our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, to bless those who curse us. No, no Christian ever hated somebody else 
under the inspiration of God. Now, you can hate sin, but it's not because you hate a person. It's actually because you hate the thing that's hurting the person. I used to be a drug addict. And, you know, people loved me and accepted me even though I was dealing with drug addiction. But that didn't mean that they affirmed or loved my drug addiction. No, they hated it because it was hurting me. They hated the drug addiction because they loved me. And they hated the thing that was hurting me. And so you can hate sin without hating the person. And you can love a person and and hate what's hurting them. In fact, that is what true compassion is. It's a mixture of love and hate. Now, I know I'm getting into some stuff there. But this is just the reality of some of these things. And uh, anyway, God established the rainbow as a sign of his covenant to never flood the earth again. And he has honored it. He has honored his covenant. So uh, I want to get into a little bit more about covenant. Most people don't have any understanding of what covenant is. And there are many Christians who don't have any understanding of it. Uh, Like I said before, marriage is seen as a contract, not a covenant. It's seen as a contract, and therefore it's treated like a contract. But uh, I want to ask this question, what is covenant in the eyes of God? And, and then, you know, on that same note, what's marriage in the eyes of God? You know, are people, <laughs> here's a question for you, and this is kind of controversial. Are people who sign a marriage contract and don't acknowledge God, are they in, truly in covenant before God? Uh-oh. <laughs> Now, I'm not necessarily giving you the answer for that. I'm just asking the question. People who deny God and say God doesn't exist, but they sign a legal contract that's called a marriage contract, are they truly in covenant before God? Well, maybe maybe we'll, we'll answer that before the podcast is over. I don't know. It's an interesting question. But, you know, I want to talk a little bit more about what, what covenant is in the Bible. There's this word uh, in the Bible, a Hebrew word, it's called hesed. Uh, you may say it as hesed, you know, trying to do the Jewish, you know, mouth thing. I, I can't really do it. But that's how it's said, hesed, and it means God's covenant kindness, his mercy. Remember we talked about how just a few minutes ago, how, how about since Jesus came, there's mercy in the air that we breathe. His mercy is his hesed. It's his covenant. It's his covenant of mercy and kindness. You know, kindness is a key characteristic of godly covenant. And you know, um, kindness is, is not just being real nice to people. Kindness involves compassion and action. See, contracts are all about protecting me. It's all about fine print to get me out of a tight spot. But covenant is about reaching out to the other person. Covenant, I heard uh, Jeremy Pearson's a, a, a minister and a, somebody who I was under for a few years. Um, he said it like this. Kindness reaches out, lifts up, and draws in. And it's this action of kindness. And this is what covenant is. It's, it's reaching out. It's like that spirit of adoption that I talked about many months ago. It's that thing that goes out and gets somebody. We're going to talk about an example of this in a little bit. Um, but it's an action and it's not selfish. The biggest differences between covenant and contract is that contract is selfish. Covenant is selfless. Covenant is for the sake of the other person. And, you know, covenant... This is an interesting thing to, to mention, is a form of submission. Um, I'm going to do a podcast soon called Perfect Submission, um, and want to get into what the Bible says about submission. And, you know, covenant is a form of submission. You, you're submitting yourself to somebody else. Let's, let's go ahead and put it in the context of marriage. You know, this comes up a lot 
when talking about marriage, you know, uh, the Bible says that wives should, should, should submit to the husbands and husbands should love their wives. A lot of people miss in Ephesians 5 the part, though, that says, be submissive one to the other. And, and you know, that is not saying that a husband is supposed to control his wife. First of all, the submission part is talking to the wife, not the husband. <laughs> it says, wives, you do this. The part that's talking to the husbands is saying, you love your wives. So that's between them and God, whether or not they submit to their husbands. That's not supposed to be this excuse for uh, hus- husbands or men with ego ego problems or inflated egos to control their wives. That's not right, and that's not a justification for that at all. Um, but but really, covenant is submission of both people. And, and I'm just using marriage as an example, but this is true in any kind of covenant. Now, I'm not saying that God submits to us. No, that's not what I'm saying. But there is a mutual joining in in that what what is important to you becomes important to me and what's important to me becomes important to you in other words we are under each other's mission submission under like a submarine mission there's a there's a joining here and, and, and I'm no longer just considering myself. I'm no longer just considering my things or my my agendas, but I, I'm in covenant with somebody else. so there are limitations to this covenant. Like I talked about, I talked about earlier, there are terms and conditions of covenant and it has requirements. It also has benefits. And, you know, if covenant didn't have parameters, it couldn't be broken. In talking about marriage, there are parameters of that covenant that if you step outside of those parameters, you are breaking covenant. And it's not just having a sexual affair. That's a big part of it, but that's not the only way to step outside of covenant. That's, that's a, that's going to be something I'm going to get more into in talking about divorce and remarriage. But there are parameters and boundaries of this. this. There's a submission that is involved in this covenant in that I, there are boundaries to it. I can't just do whatever I want. I can't just, I have to honor the boundaries and the requirements of the covenant. But covenant is not selfish. It's meant to be selfless. Contract is meant for self-protection. Covenant is meant for the benefit of the other. God designed covenant to benefit us. And, you know, in a sense, it can be looked at as a contract, but a contract has become nothing more than a piece of paper and lawyer fees to the world. And it's, it's like I said, it's selfish, but covenant is about the other person. I'll show you a picture of this in scripture. Um, and back in first Samuel chapter 18, um, you know, we see the picture of Jonathan and David, and this is a beautiful picture of godly covenant. And, and I, I'm going to just say this, um, you know, uh, uh I think this is worth saying. A lot of people have tried to take this story and use it as a some kind of scriptural basis for for uh, a gay romance, and say that Jonathan and David were truly in love, and and even though they had wives, that it was a technically a, a broke back mountain situation. Which I have not watched that movie, by the way, but you know I, I've I've heard things about it. Um, that, you know, this is basically Brokeback Mountain in the Bible and that Jonathan and David were really in love with each other because the Bible does say that the love that they had um, exceeded the love for women. And people say, well, see, they were truly in love. They were soulmates. They were meant to be together. No, uh, that's not true. This is not a gay love story. Jonathan and David were not homosexuals. Um, Listen, David loved him some women, okay? (laughs) 
<laughs> to a fault, David liked him the opposite sex. Okay, he 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 had an eye for the opposite sex. He had several wives, and I'm not saying that was good or right. My point is, David was not at all homosexual. Neither was Jonathan, and that is not what this story is portraying. Anybody who tries to twist it and use it that way, uh, you're twisting Scripture, and you're misunderstanding the Word of God, and you're misusing it. Um, no, it has nothing to do with that. What it is, it's true friendship. It's covenant in the sense of friendship. It's like two men who go to war together and, and have each other's back and, and protect each other and save each other's life. That bond that's created by a brother, when, when, when you have their back and you know, hey, we're bros, you've got my back, I've got your back, no matter what, that's what this is. It's a good old-fashioned, manly, heterosexual bro covenant is what it is. It's not any of this other stuff. Uh, none of that is right. No, it's covenant and it's friendship. I'm going to read about it. I know I'm being strong on that, but, you know, it's not good when people try to take the Word of God and misuse it for their own agendas. Um, in 1 Samuel 18, it says, Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. This was after David had defeated Goliath. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. And it says this, Then Jonathan made a covenant with David, because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. Man, I can identify with this because my brother's name is Jonathan. And I know what this is like. I know what it's like to have that thing with your brother where it's like you would do anything for them. It's like if somebody tried to mess with them, if somebody tried to hurt them, you you would come to their aid in a heartbeat without even thinking about it. You would you would have their back in a moment. If they needed something and you had the ability, you would help them. Like there's this that thing between brothers, whether it's natural brothers or spiritual brothers, where it's like I've got your back. And you don't have that with everybody. And you're not meant to have it with everybody. There there are some special people that you have that kind of bond with. But it's this, I've got your back kind of thing. It's, I cannot um, stand by while you have a need or while you're hurting or while you're in pain. I've got to do everything in my power to help you. That's the kind of bond we're talking about between Jonathan and David. And, you know, there's always an exchange in covenant. I, I like that it talks about how, you know, Jonathan uh, gave David something of his that was precious. And, and likewise, David to Jonathan, they had an exchange of something precious. This is why at a wedding there's an exchanging of wedding rings. Um, you know, when, when we come into covenant with God, there is an exchange. There's something that we, we offer to Him, we give Him everything we are, and He gives us everything He is. Praise God. And and this is covenant. And real quick, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna just take a sidestep um, from Jonathan and David and, and talk for because I mentioned marriage here again. You know, um, sex is not evidence of love. <laughs> But covenant is. Come on. Sex is not evidence of love, but covenant is evidence of love. Um, there are tons of people who have sex with each other all the time that are not in covenant and they don't love each other. But covenant takes true love. Covenant takes kindness. Kindness will commit, will make a covenant, will, 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 is not afraid of commitment. Let me say it like that. True love is not afraid of commitment. And uh, anyway, let me move on here for a second. That's just a side note. That's not free, but it's extra. 
Anyway, it says, Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. This is moving on to another portion in, in Samuel, 1 Samuel 19. Uh, so Saul was jealous of, of David because he was getting a lot of attention. And he tells Jonathan, Hey, I want you to kill David. And Jonathan, uh, it says, He delighted greatly in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, My father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you, that then what I observe I will tell you. Thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant against David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good towards you. For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine, and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan and swore, As the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. I love this picture because we see that not only does Jonathan have David's back, but Jonathan warned David and he interceded for him. I want to say that again. Jonathan warned David of impending danger and then he interceded for him. In this context, Jonathan is a picture of Jesus. Oh man, that's so good. Uh, We'll get into this in a minute, but the Bible tells us in Hebrews that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us to the Father on our behalf. And he, he's, his blood is on the mercy seat. And it's and it, just like he said, will you, oh, come on, I just saw something so good. Praise God. He said, will you sin against innocent blood? Oh, come on. Jesus' innocent blood is on the mercy seat. And it speaks for us. And Jesus intercedes for us saying, hey, we can't go against innocent blood. Oh, come on. But it's not our innocence. It's his innocent blood that speaks for us. Do you see that? Mm, come on. That's good. He's interceding for us. And he warns us. The Bible says the Holy Spirit warns us of things to come, shows us things to come. And so this was Jonathan's side of the covenant. He saved David's life even when it went against his father. <laughs> you know, I'll say this again. i mention about marriage. You know, marriage takes precedence over your parents. Uh oh, <laughs> marriage covenant takes precedence over parents and family. That doesn't mean marriage should separate you from your family or make you isolated or aloof or anything like that. That's not healthy. That's not right. But the marriage covenant takes precedence over loyalty to parents and loyalty to this and that. Now, when I mean that, I don't mean if you're in a toxic relationship and your parents are trying to help you out of it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this covenant. It's a, it's this covenant transcends other things. If that makes sense, there's a whole lot to get into about that. And we'll get more into that in future podcasts. So don't get offended if you don't understand that. But anyway, let's keep going. Um, now we're going to look at David's side. We looked at Jonathan's side of the covenant. Now we're looking at David's side of the covenant. And this is in 2 Samuel 21. Um, Saul and Jonathan were both killed in a battle. And David has become king. And David destroys his enemies, except for Jonathan's son. Um, see, Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth. And you remember, Jonathan and David made this covenant that, that he would not hurt his descendants. They made a covenant. And, you know, a lot of people had advised David in the same way they advised him to kill Saul. They advised him, hey, you got to wipe out all of Saul's descendants. This is basic king etiquette. This is basic 
uh, throne assuming etiquette, you've got to wipe out any potential descendants of uh, the former king that could rise up against you. But David made a covenant. He made a covenant and it says, but the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because the Lord's oath was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. You know, there is a time when God will destroy those um, who oppose you, except for those. I'm sorry, let me say it like this. I said that wrong. There is a time when God will destroy those who are opposed to him, except for those who are in covenant with him. Oh man, that's that's something that's not popular. But you know, Revelations talks about people that oppose God in the end, that his fire consumes. Now that's not his perfect will. That's not his desire. And, and his wrath is but for a moment, but he does have wrath. That's another podcast we'll get into later. But there is a time coming where God's wrath will uh, consume those who are not in covenant with him in the same way that David destroyed those who were not in covenant with him. There's a type and a shadow here. So it said, now David said, is there anyone still who is left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. This is that kindness we're talking about, that kindness that reaches out, that that is selfless. This is covenant. And there was a servant in the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said, are you Ziba? He said, at your service. The king said, is there not still someone in the house of Saul that I may show him the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Makur, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. And the king sent and brought him out of the house of Makur, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Why? Because he thinks he's about to die. He thinks, I'm, I'm, you know, David called me here to kill me. And that would is logical thinking. But David said, Mephibosheth, um, don't fear. For I will surely show you the kindness, I'm sorry, you will, I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? This reminds me of the prodigal son when he came back and said, I'm not worthy to be called a son. And the king called Ziba and Saul's servant and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. Therefore, your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest, that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. This is a covenant. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, and Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. Now, the Bible says Mephibosheth was, was handicapped, and yet he had 15 sons. Well, never mind, I won't go into that. But I'm just saying, you're not limited no matter what. You know, nobody's limited. Anyway, uh, as for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in, his both, in both of his feet. That was a lot of scripture, I know, but it was fun. Um, so we see that David honored his side of this covenant. David honored his covenant with Jonathan. And even when it went against his etiquette as a king, when it went against convenience and even concern for the future, he still honored this covenant. 
The covenant is kindness, it's mercy, it's sharing what you have, and it's the spirit of adoption that Romans 8.15 tells us about. That God has not given us the spirit of fear, but, but, but he's poured out the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. In other words, we're carried to the table. We are brought to the table. We are brought into the house of the Lord, and he's made a covenant with us. But it's not a selfish contract. It's a covenant that's for our sake. It's a covenant. It's really actually not for our sake. It's actually for Jesus' sake, because Jesus is like Jonathan, and he shows us kindness for the sake of the blood of Jesus. But he does it for our benefit. We, we are benefiting from this covenant. This is a picture of our covenant with Jesus. And we, we were sinners, and we were brought to God's table. We were adopted in. We were treated as family. And as a Song of Solomon foretells us, we were brought to his banqueting table, and his banner over us is love. You know, covenant in this context was so powerful that it transcended war. The grandson of his enemy became family because of covenant. You know, there's no room in covenant for offense. There's none. Uh, Offense is swallowed up in the kindness of covenant. In Psalm 89.3, it says, I've made a covenant with my chosen. I've sworn to my servant David. In, In verse 28, it says, My mercy I will keep for him forever, and my covenant shall stand firm with him. And in verse 34, it says, My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Now, I want to move on to the New Testament here and talk a little bit more how this covenant represents our covenant with God. And it says over in in Hebrews chapter 8, starting in verse 6, he said, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, talking about Jesus, inasmuch as he is also a mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. In other words, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. He said, No, that's not the kind of covenant I'm making. He said, this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, which, by the way, we've been grafted into. Read Romans 9, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest. See, this is a covenant of intimacy. It's not a covenant of Oh, you know, we've just got to, you know, just just be afraid of God. There is a healthy fear of the Lord. But, you know, I, I even hear people say things like, well, you know, worship isn't about you. It's not about how you feel. It's not about this and that. You know, it's about you just, just worshiping God and giving God praise. Well, that's true. But at the same time, you know, God has millions of angels that give him praise every day. And if that's all he wanted, then he would have been fine with just angels. No, he, he wants children 
because worship is not just one-sided. And God's not pleased with worship if something is not ministered to the other, because worship is intimacy. And worship is a time where we minister to the Lord, and He ministers to us at the same time. And I'm going to be real with you. You may not like this. You may be uncomfortable with this. But the truth is, one of the best pictures of true worship is intimacy between a husband and a wife. Because it's mutual. It's not one-sided. It's intimacy, and it's opening yourself up to God. I know that may make you uncomfortable, but it's just the truth. And that's what the Bible compares it to. That's what the Song of Solomon's all about. Um, anyway, I won't get into all that right now, but it's just the truth. You may as well say amen. It's so, and, and God wants an intimate relationship with us. He wants uh, It's a relationship between Christ and the church, his bride. It's also a relationship between a father and his child. And there's all these different facets and elements of this covenant. It's not just one thing. But he wants a real living relationship with us. Uh, Continuing in Hebrews 8, uh, closer to verse 13, he said, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In that, he says, a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Now I'm going to go over to Hebrews 7, backing up a little bit, and we're going to get uh, into this part of it. I mentioned that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. In, in Hebrews 7, 22-25, it says, By so much more Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests, because they were prevented by death from continuing. In other words, you know, priests only last so long, they had an expiration date. But he, because he continues forever, Jesus does not have an expiration date, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus lives to make intercession for you. That's his full-time job. That is his career, is making intercession for you, is doing for you what Jonathan did for David. And you know, there are two sides of every covenant, but that's Jesus' side. And our covenant with God is two-sided, but God's part, he will not break. You know, but here's a question. What happens when we break our part? You know, because he said, this is not like when I made a covenant with Israel and they broke it and I disregarded them. He said, this isn't like that. He said um, that, that this is a new covenant and it's a better covenant. And this is one of the reasons why it's better. You know, like Jonathan in the presence of Saul, we have a covenant friend in the presence of God, and that's Jesus. And he intercedes for us when we break our part of the covenant. In other words, his blood speaks for us. Now, does that mean you can leave the covenant of God? You have a free will. Yes, you can. But just because you mess up and you mess your part of the covenant up doesn't mean that God is going to disregard you because you have somebody in the presence of the king interceding for you like David did. You have somebody speaking for you in the presence of the king with whom you're in covenant. And the reason our covenant is better is because we have an intercessor when we fall short of our part of the covenant, like Mephibosheth. It's a covenant that carries us to the table in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of our flaws, in spite of our sins. Now, that doesn't mean you can just take your sins with you and it's okay. No, um, but uh, God is interceding for you, and he's also given you the grace to bring you out of that. And, and, you know, your job is not to clean yourself up before you come to the table. Jesus is the vine dresser, and if you will abide in the vine, he will prune you. 
There's a whole lot of stuff we could get into here, and, and anytime you preach some of these things, people will say, well, you know, that's not the whole counsel of God. you got to include this and include that. Well, as, as Kenneth Copeland once said, I don't know the whole counsel of God, first of all, and second of all, I can't fit the whole counsel of God into one-hour podcast, so cut me some slack, will you? But there's more things to be said about that, but the point is we have a better covenant because we have an intercessor who carries us to the table and intercedes for us when we fall short. And that is what the Bible says. So, Revelations chapter 4, verse 2, beginning to wrap it up here. Let's talk a little bit more about this rainbow. And, and, you know, I know I titled this the rainbow because the rainbow was God's original picture of the covenant in the beginning. And we're talking about covenant. In Revelations 4, verse 2, it says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, Apostle John is talking here, and behold, a throne set in heaven, And one sat on the throne, this is what he saw. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. So apparently that's what God looks like. And there was a rainbow around the throne, in appearance like an emerald. This is the bow that God is talking about. This is the rainbow that he has around his throne that he put in the sky for us. You say, well, I understand. Is Is it on his throne or is it in here? I, God made it. I guess he, he can duplicate it if he wants to. I don't know exactly how he did it, but he's the one that came up with it, so I'm sure he figured that one out. But the point is, he said, it's on my throne, and I put it in the clouds. So that's good enough for me. But the rainbow is present at the throne of God as a sign of his covenant. He took his own bow and he placed it in the sky as a signal of covenant. And you know, Jesus is also present at the right hand of the Father, and his blood is the surety of a better covenant. And he is the surety. He's the collateral of a new and living way. In Genesis, God put up his personal rainbow as collateral for his covenant, but in the New Testament, oh, watch this, God put up the blood of the Lamb as collateral, as the surety of this new and living way, his covenant, and a covenant that is for our benefit that he will not break. God's covenant means everything to him, and God does not break covenant lightly. He doesn't break his covenant at all. You could say that Jesus is God's new rainbow, and the Holy Spirit is the new sign. Now, I know that's some deep stuff right there, but it's true anyhow. Oh, come on. Jesus is kind of like God's new rainbow. Now, we still have this rainbow in the sky about the flood, but when it comes to the new covenant, Jesus is the sign. He's the rainbow. He's the thing that's in heaven saying, I'm here to represent this covenant, this covenant that he has with us. And you know, when we understand covenant better, when we understand what covenant means to God, it'll change the way that we see it. It'll change the way that we we act about covenant and things that involve covenant. Covenant is not a light thing and it shouldn't be treated lightly, any kind of covenant. And uh, this, is, this is what God intends covenant to be. It's something that is full of kindness, that it doesn't have this list of, well, if you meet these requirements, then I guess we can you know, sign this contract. And don't misunderstand me. You know, when it comes to marriage and things like that, you should have standards of the kind of person you marry. And you want to pray and seek the Lord and make sure you're marrying the right person. I, I'm not just talking about marriage, but let's just talk about it. But at the same time, We've got to be careful about this superficial list a lot of us come up with of flawless people who really don't exist. They may act like they exist. They may put it on for a while, but when it all comes down to it, everybody's got stuff they're dealing with. God said he looks at the heart, and the heart of a person is what will determine what kind of 
person they are in the future. It's the root that will grow into something. Somebody's heart, if their heart's off and they don't change it, it will grow into something not good. But if somebody's heart is right, even if not everything is right in their life, it will grow and, and blossom into something good. But this covenant, it's kindness. It's this thing that looks at somebody in the midst of their weakness and says, I find no fault in you. Like Song of Solomon says. What am I saying? Am I saying that you should go find a homeless person on the side of the road to make covenant with? No, not necessarily. No, that's not what I mean. Hear what I'm saying. Nobody's flawless. And and covenant is an action of kindness and is always looking to benefit the other person. It's saying, how can I add something good to their life? How can I, I be a blessing to them? What can I do for them? And this is what God did in covenant. This is God's covenant that he will not break with us. It's a covenant of kindness. This has been the No Content Podcast. My name is Benjamin Pace. I hope this blessed you today. I will talk to you the next time you click play. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening to the No Content Podcast. Remember that Jesus loves you. He loves everyone else. And please don't forget to feed the ducks.